Have you ever been to Glen Eagles Hotel? Or would you ever like to go there? Well, if you like golf, Glen Eagles is the place to be. It is one of the finest golf courses in the world. And if you like fishing, and some people do, then, then you really love Glen Eagles. You could fish for salmon on the River Tay, or for trout on their three locks. And apparently, so the story goes, a 42-pound fish was caught there in September 86. And that means nothing to me. <laughs> or maybe you don't like fishing. And maybe you don't like golf. Maybe you'd just rather go there and simply chill out at their luxury spa. And you might even want to get some body and facial treatments. But don't take that personally. <laughs> However, in July this year, you will not get access to Glen Eagles. Why? Because Glen Eagles Hotel will host the G8 Summit of World Leaders. And access will be given only to those who are eligible. Now, to be eligible, you must belong to one of these groups of G8. And unless you meet the criteria, you will not be allowed to enter. Now, here's something far more important than getting access into Glen Eagles Hotel. And it's this. How does someone get into heaven? How does someone receive eternal life? Last summer, our Charlotte Chapel news reporter, Ruth Richardson, went along Princess Street with a cameraman, John Easton. And they asked people that question, how they thought they would get to heaven. And you may have seen it already, but here's what happens. in your life some experiences which brought you to think of God I think that's the right way and if you remember that one about being a good girl uh, how do you think I'm getting there I think stairway I wish stairway comes down and just floats me up <laughs> and looking after people and just being a nice person I just, I'm starting to not believe in religion as I get older the more, the more I believe, you know, in scientific facts and things like that, I look at the Bible and say, it's a book of rules and that's it. Good people, not evil. Right? Being a left Catholic, I'm not really sure. I think I'm going to just do it and it will still go there, I don't know how. So I think just keep, keep yourself on the right side and you'll get there. It's definitely there. Thank you. No idea. I hadn't really thought about it. Okay. I think I'm a good enough person to get there. Not that bad, <laughs> I don't think. Two thousand years ago, the Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son, had a conversation with a man called Nicodemus. And what they spoke about was this How do you receive eternal life? 
Now this is what Jesus told Nicodemus. You must be born again. And we find this conversation in the Bible, as we just heard, in John chapter 3 and verses 1 to 28. And you'll find it on page number 1065 of the Pew Bibles. So let's look and see what actually happens here. But before we do that, let's first pray again and ask for God's help to understand what is said in this passage. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Bible. We pray that you would help us to understand what has been said here. And we pray that you would help us to see what it means to be born again. For we ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now Jesus lived in Palestine. And back in the first century, Jesus had travelled to Jerusalem, a city in that region. And you can see Jerusalem on the map. And it's there that Nicodemus meets Jesus. Now imagine you were there as well. What would you see? You'd see Jesus and Nicodemus deep in conversation. And what they're speaking about has huge relevance for each one of us tonight. They're speaking about eternal life. And Jesus tells Nicodemus about how someone can actually receive eternal life. And he does that by speaking about three realities. He speaks about an empty religion, an eternal relationship, and an essential requirement. So the first thing Jesus speaks about is an empty religion. Now Nicodemus, he was someone who was living a good life. In verse 1 we read that he was a religious person. Nicodemus went to church. But he didn't only go to church. He also tried his very best to be a good person. Now he wasn't Mother Teresa, but if he was alive today, he would give money to comic relief. And he would try and keep to the speed limits. And here's what he thought. He thought that by living a good life, he would earn eternal life. For example, when I was a lot younger, I really wanted a dog. And ideally, I would have liked a St. Bernard. Has anyone got a St. Bernard here in this church tonight? No one? Okay. However, I compromised on a Cocker Spaniel. And <laughs> imagine walking with that. It wasn't quite the same thing. But anyway, in order to get this Cocker Spaniel, guess what I had to do? I had to try and be good and earn it. And notice I said try. And the deal was, I had to help save up some money to pay for my dog. I had, and as a a budding young entrepreneur, I worked out a wee list of jobs that I would do. And this would help show my parents very clearly that I was being good. It was my special plan to help me earn my dog. And I've still got that list. It's in a booklet with a sign saying, keep hands off on the front page. Yes, I was a very strange little boy. Now, do you want to see what's inside this booklet? But you must keep it a secret, okay? Remember, I was 12 years old. This wasn't yesterday. It was about so many years ago. Now, what I wrote was, a Cocker Spaniel is £85. Now, I put, 
I will get it. Underline that three times. On the 3rd of March, 1984. I will buy it a basket the first day I get it. I will give it my big cushion. Okay, here we go. Tanya will cost £85. I was going to call it Tanya. I called it Cracker in the end, but I was going to call it... (laughs) Indecisive or what? I will work for £40. I was was going to pay for the whole thing. Here's here's how I would pay for it. Wash dishes in car, 20 pence. (laughs) Cheap, isn't it? (laughs) Clean the house, 30 pence. Polish the shoes, 20 pence. Make some wee cakes, 10 pence. And they were tremendous, by the way. You are missing out, honestly. Clean the rug, 5 pence. Sweet, eh? You see, if I did my best, to live a good life and do good things, then I would surely get my reward, my very own Cocker Spaniel. And that's just like Nicodemus. He was trying to live a good life. And what's the reward he was after? Not a dog, but eternal life. And then Nicodemus meets Jesus. Now here's what Jesus said. There is not one thing Nicodemus could do that will earn him eternal life. Even if he went to church every Sunday for the next 50 years, even if he gave all his money away to comic relief, even if he never got one more speeding ticket for the rest of his entire life, quite an achievement, there is not one thing he could do to earn eternal life. Nothing. So the question is, why? Why could he not earn eternal life? You see, he wasn't as bad as Hitler. He hadn't murdered someone. No, in fact, he obeyed the law. And he was well-liked. And don't forget, he also went to church. So why could he not earn eternal life? Now here's the answer, and it applies to all of us. Because we have all rebelled against a holy God. Someone once asked Jesus, what the greatest commandment was. And let's listen to what Jesus said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your minds and with all your strength. Now think about that for a minute. Our greatest crime is that none of us have loved God in that way. None of us. Instead, we have all rebelled against God. We have taken the crown from off his head and put it firmly on our own head. As the motto of Christianity Explored says, we are more wicked than we ever realised, but more loved than we ever dreamed. Now here's what that meant. Because he was trying to earn eternal life by what he could do, Nicodemus was living with a false hope. Back in August 2000, you may remember the tragic story of the Russian submarine, the Kursk. Now, the Kursk, a huge nuclear submarine, had been taking part in military exercises in the Barents Sea. However, tragically, disaster was about to strike. On the 12th of August, the Kursk lost contact with Russia's Northern Fleet Command. What happened? One of its torpedoes had exploded and the entire crew were now trapped. 
The next day, the submarine was found at the bottom of the seabed. But there were signs of life. They could hear knocking sounds from the submarine. You see, the crew were still hoping they'd be rescued. However, by day three, there were unofficial reports that this knocking had now stopped. And it was not until day 10, the 20th of August, that rescuers finally managed to open the outer hatch of the submarine. And by that time, tragically, all 118 of the crew had died. Now here's the point. From the moment the submarine was fatally damaged, the crew were essentially living with a false hope. And that was the same for Nicodemus. If you look at verse 2, we find when Nicodemus came to Jesus, it says, he came to Jesus at night. So why did he come at night? Well, maybe he was afraid of what his friends and colleagues might think. But that's not the only reason why we're told he came at night. You see, whenever night is mentioned in John's Gospel, it means something. And this is important. It refers to our true spiritual condition if we have not yet accepted the truth of Jesus Christ. And that's where Nicodemus was at. Just like the crew of the cursed, he was living with a false hope. Why? Because he was relying on all the good things he had done to earn him eternal life. Now if it ended there, it would be tragic for all of us. Hopeless. It'd be like what the atheistic philosopher Frederick Nietzsche said. Hope is the worst of evils, for it prolongs the torments of man. However, the good news is, the amazing news is, it doesn't end there. There is one way, and only one way, we can have eternal life. And it's here Jesus speaks about an eternal relationship. Now all his life, Nicodemus was trying to get right with God by something he could do. But he was about to learn, it's all about what Jesus has already done. And here's the key difference. Receiving eternal life doesn't mean trying to live a good life. It means living a grateful life. Now if you're a football fan, you may have watched the 2002 World Cup. Or if you're married to a football fan, you may have reluctantly watched the 2002 World Cup. And you might remember that after Brazil won the championship, the whole team said a prayer on the pitch. And then several players took off their tops to reveal t-shirts with verses such as John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Mel Gibson showed graphically what happens here in his film The Passion of the Christ. And you may have seen it for yourself. It was a very graphic and powerful film. And, it sh- and what it showed was this. God's nature is to love. If you look at verses 14 and 15, Jesus talks about how he would be lifted up on a cross. You see, God in his amazing love sent Jesus to die for us. Why? So we could be forgiven and have an eternal relationship with God. You see, we could never bridge that gap between us and God. For example, one place I would love to go is 
sky. But as you know, you, you can now drive across the sky because they built a bridge. And the sky boat song will never be the same again. However, we can never bridge the gap between us and God. Never. And that is why Jesus came into this world. He came to rescue us. One of my favourite films is Saving Private Ryan. And it's a film directed by Steven Spielberg. And it's all about a rescue. Has anyone seen that film? It's a really good film. Good. Now in this film, Tom Hanks plays Captain Miller. And Captain Miller is sent behind enemy lines on a mission. And the mission is this. To rescue a soldier whose three brothers have been killed in action. And that's exactly what Jesus came to do. He came to rescue us. But there's something else, finally, and this is vital. We must respond, like Carlin was saying, to what Jesus has done. And that's an essential requirement. Now, Nicodemus was a smart guy. He was a leading teacher in Jerusalem. So if you were on who wants to be a millionaire, he was the ideal kind of guy you would choose to phone a friend. But there was something he hadn't grasped yet, and it's this. Because, because he rebelled against God, his life needed a total transformation. And that is the essential requirement, living a transformed life. Take the example of my old car. Now, that is not my old car, but it felt very much like it, believe me. Now, six years ago, I bought a Peugeot 306. And I bought it three years old, and it had done 40,000 miles on the clock. Last December, it had done 250,000 miles on the clock. And guess what happened? Things went badly wrong. It broke down three times in three weeks. The head gasket blew not once, but twice. The water pump was leaking, and it was making some very strange noises. Not a cool car to drive in. It needed a total transformation. And in some ways, that's just like you and me. We need transformed. A bit like a new physical birth. And that's why Jesus says in verse 3, No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Now let me ask you this question. What do you honestly think of when you hear the words born again? Is it a slick-looking televangelist in a white, shiny suit and gold chains hanging everywhere asking for your money? And then he might kindly say a prayer for you. Or is it Harold Bishop from Neighbours? A nice enough man, but not the most exciting person in the world. And that's the picture we can sometimes have when we hear the words born again. It's a negative one. However, it is a completely false image of what being, being born again really means. Why? Because being born again is at the heart of what it means to have eternal life. If you look at verse 7, Jesus makes this very clear. He says, You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. One of the programs on television just now is called Ten Years Younger. And what happens is, so I've been told, is they all get people on the street to guess someone's age. Has anyone seen this? 
Yes? And then afterwards, that same person will have some plastic surgery done. And it's all designed to help them look ten years younger. And so for a second time, people will try and guess how old they are after this transformation to their appearance. And I think she looks older in the after section. But anyway, <laughs> don't tell her that, I'll really offend her. And Jesus is talking here about a transformation. But notice, this one goes far, far deeper. It is the transforming work of God in someone's life. And catch this. It's about becoming fully the person you were created to be. So the big question is, what is my part in all this? How do I actually get eternal life? I simply receive it. I choose to receive Jesus Christ into my life. The one who came that we might have life and have it to the full. And I come under his new management. And he becomes saviour and lord of my life. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And it's the most important thing you could ever do. We started tonight by thinking about someone who lived 2,000 years ago. Nicodemus, a very religious person and a very respectable person. But Jesus still said to him, you must be born again. A 26-year-old single mother from Atlanta, Ashley Smith, lives a very different life. Now, Ashley's husband had died tragically four years earlier. You see, life had not always been easy for Ashley. And Ashley is a Christian. However, last Saturday morning, the most wanted man in America burst into her apartment. Brian Nichols had just shot dead three people in a court in Atlanta. And now he's in Ashley's home, and he's got a gun at her ribs. Now imagine you were Ashley. How would you and I react to that? Well, the amazing thing about Ashley's story is this. Ashley showed that being born again not only gives us a certain hope for the future, it gives us inner strength to deal with the challenges of life. And here's what Ashley did. She read Brian Nichols a section from Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life. And he was so affected by what he read that he gave himself up. It's amazing. And the Times newspaper covered the story and it wrote this about Ashley. Incredible though it seems, she had transformed herself in the space of a few hours from being Nichols' helpless victim into his comforting friend and now his trusted advisor. What on earth gave her the confidence to do that? This is what it says. The answer seems to be, at least in part, in large part, her faith. After her husband had died, Smith had become a born-again Christian. Now here's the point. Ashley had decided to become born again. So let me ask you a direct question. Are you born again? Very straightforward. Are you born again? As Jesus said, you must be born again.
Maybe you want to do that, even tonight. Then I invite you to say this prayer with me, quietly to yourself. Let's read it, out, let's read it over to ourselves first. It'll come up on, up on the screen so you can see it. And let's think through what it says. And then I'll read it out loud. And it's a prayer you can say to receive Jesus Christ into your life. So let's read it first to ourselves, then I'll read it out loud. I'll, I'll read it out loud for us. Lord Jesus, I recognize that you are God and have the right to control my life. I have rebelled against you, sinning in my thoughts, my words, and my actions. Sometimes unconsciously, sometimes deliberately. I am sorry for the way I have lived and ask you to forgive me. As best I can, I want to turn away from rebellion and obey you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for me on the cross. Please come into my life and take complete control of it. Amen. Father, we thank you that the Bible is clear. We must be born again. We pray that if someone has said that prayer tonight, that you would give them the courage to tell somebody. Thank you for all that Jesus has accomplished by dying and rising again. And thank you that we can have an eternal relationship with you. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's sing a quote.